We are the paradoxical ape. Bipedal, naked, large-brained. Long the master of fire, tools, and language, but still trying to understand ourselves. Aware that death is inevitable, yet filled with optimism. We grow up slowly. We hand down knowledge. We empathize and deceive. We shape the future from our shared understanding of the past. Carta brings together experts from diverse disciplines to exchange insights on who we are and how we got here. An exploration made possible by the generosity of humans like you. Thank you for being here. I'm Susan Strester. I am a faculty at the La Jolla Institute for Immunology. Today, I am going to talk about these mosquito-borne viral infections called dengue and Zika. My lab focuses on understanding the immunology of these virus infections using mouse models, um, tissue culture, human tissue culture models, and patient samples from endemic countries such as Nepal. Shown here is the outline of my talk. I will briefly introduce these viruses. Then I will address three interrelated questions. Specifically, first, I'll talk about why, despite 70 years of um, research, we don't have treatment and an effective vaccine against dengue. Then I'll talk about how prior exposure to dengue, so the pre-existing dengue immunity, influenced subsequent infection with Zika infection and then how this prior exposure to dengue also impacts Zika evolution. Let's start with the introduction to these viruses. Dengue and Zika, these are very similar viruses. Both of these viruses are transmitted by these mosquitoes called Aedes aegypti or Aedes albopictus. These two different species of mosquitoes, they're actually found right here in California, in fact, right here in San Diego. And shown here in the middle, is the transmission cycle involving these mosquitoes and us, the humans. These viruses, they belong to the genus Flavivirus. This genus represents a, a number of important human um, pathogens that includes West Nile virus, Japanese encephalitis virus, and yellow fever. This genus belongs to the family Flaviviridae. The well-known family member is hepatitis C virus. These are small envelope RNA viruses. The genome is only about 10.7 uh, KB in a single-stranded and positive polarity. What that means is the genome is also the messes. Shown here is the schematic for the genomic structure of these viruses. The squiggly lines at the ends, these are the five prime and the three prime untranslated reasons. And these different valid proteins, C, M, E, and NS1 through five, these represent different viral proteins. NS5 here, this is the biggest viral protein, and this is also the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase of these viruses. 
This is the reason why RNA viruses have such high um, rates of mutation because this enzyme, this polymerase, is very error prone. What kind of diseases do these viruses cause? Dengue and Zika, both of them cause a spectrum of illnesses ranging from mild to severe. The mild form of dengue infection is called dengue fever and is characterized by high fever, rash, headache, joint, and muscle pain. The next severe form of the infection is called dengue hemorrhagic fever. Um, this is kind of a misnomer. The hemorrhagic manifestations, they're typically just eye, nose, and gum bleeding. And the hallmark of dengue hemorrhagic fever is this phenomenon called plasma leakage, where you have leakage of fluid from blood vessels into tissues. And if this plasma leakage syndrome becomes severe enough, then people undergo shock and this dengue shock syndrome can be fatal. Similarly, Zika fever, the mild form of Zika infection is called Zika fever and dengue fever and Zika fever are actually virtually indistinguishable um, in terms of clinical symptoms. Zika complications include microcephaly, which is um, small head, babies with small head, and microcephaly is just one of several features associated with Zika-related birth defects. The whole constellation of um, Zika-associated birth defects, which can include both vision and hearing defects, is now called congenital Zika syndrome. And in adults, Zika can also cause this syndrome called Guillain-Barre, where you have this temporary onset of paralysis. And in fact, it can be severe enough that people need um, a ventilator. Shown here is the geographic distribution of these viruses worldwide. In the green is dengue, and in the red bottom here is uh, Zika. You can readily see that some of the same countries, actually many of the same countries, have both dengue and Zika. And as I told you before, both of these viruses are transmitted by mosquitoes, but unlike dengue, which can be transmitted only by mosquitoes, Zika can be transmitted vertically from mother to child and also sexually. In terms of these two viruses being the major problems for the world, um, an estimated 390 million infections occur each year, and out of those, about 24,000 die for dengue. As for Zika, during this famous 2015-16 Zika epidemic in the Americas, um, more than 40,000 Zika infections were recorded in the U.S. and U.S. territories. And in Brazil, the epicenter of the epidemic, um, Brazil had over 200,000 of Zika infections and almost 9,000 uh, Zika-related birth defects. So why are these viruses, I've told you, dengue has been, uh, people have been trying to do dengue research for over 70 years. Why are these viruses are emerging and re-emerging? And the answer to that question is really us. Um, massive urbanization. People are moving from villages to cities. And our habits, which includes the use of these non-biodegradable containers, which are, of course, great habitats for these uh, virus-transmitting mosquitoes. And of course, in many countries, there's this massive breakdown of programs that are involved in, that are required for vector control and also this general public health program infrastructure. And in this day and age, we, um, we can be here in San Diego and in less than 24 hours, we can be in completely different parts of the world thanks uh, to this global movement. 
So it's not a surprise. Now, in 2019, 2020, we're hearing countries like Nepal, which people typically think of as this Himalayan country, now has to deal with dengue. So now I would like to focus on the big question surrounding infections with these viruses, it's specifically dengue. Why do we have why do we have treatment and an effective vaccine against dengue? The answer to that question lies in the fact that these viruses exist as four viruses. For dengue, we call them as dengue serotypes one, two, three, four. So what this means is that a person does not develop a lifelong immunity to infection with dengue. In fact, you can be reinfected second, third, and perhaps fourth time. And in numerous epidemiologic studies have shown that the single greatest risk factor for coming down with severe dengue disease is secondary dengue infection. This is in the case of older children and adults. And in the case of infants, it's being born to dengue immune mothers. So what's so common about these two groups of patients that um, allows this, this prior exposure to dengue being the single greatest risk factor? So before I give you the answer, I have to give you a little bit of background on the adaptive immune response to viral infections in general. You have these viruses, dengue. Um, they infect people, and the two major arms of the immune system come into play. The first one is called B cells. These are the cells that make antibodies. Antibodies are the ones they recognize and they destroy these viruses, and we call them, they neutralize those viruses. In contrast, T cells, these cells recognize virally infected cells and directly kill them. And in terms of the vaccines that are approved for human use, most of the vaccine design is based on this principle here where the vaccine-induced antibody responses are directly destroying these pathogens, viruses, or bacteria. So now, to go back to our central question, why are these people with secondary dengue infections and these infants who are born to dengue immune mothers, they're coming down with severe disease? And the answer has to do with the fact that both groups of individuals, they have these antibodies. These antibodies are coming from first infection in these people with secondary infection. In the case of these infants, these antibodies are coming from their mother. These are maternal dengue antibodies. Based on these epidemiologic observations, this hypothesis called antibody-dependent enhancement, or ADE for short, was formulated. According to this hypothesis, dengue, this is the virus here, binds with the antibodies. Instead of the antibodies being neutralizing and getting rid of these virus infections, these antibodies are sub-neutralizing. So what that means is that now the virus antibody immune complex, it, they are able to enter these cells. Normally, these cells would not have been able to be infected with this virus. Now, through this antibody pathway, they're able to enter the cells, replicate, and these high levels of viral infection then triggers all these hallmarks of severe dengue. This hypothesis called ADE, it was proposed almost half a century ago. And it was only back in 2010 that our laboratory provided evidence in support of this hypothesis. Before I tell you how we did that, let me um, explain how this hypothesis fits in the context of human infection. During primary infection with dengue, 
you, by definition, you don't have secondary infection, people develop a nice antibody response and most people develop actually no disease or it's a smile disease. In the case of secondary infection with the same serotype, so this is homologous, same serotype, the antibody response developed during the first infection, they will be able to recognize and neutralize, get rid of this virus infection. So the person is not protected and has no disease. Now, during secondary infection with a different serotype, so this heterologous, so I have a different color virus here, the antibody response to the first infection, not all of those antibodies will be able to recognize the second serotype. And this leads to this sub-neutralizing antibody condition, and that leads to this ADE-mediated enhancement of disease severity. And in the case of infants, these maternal antibodies, it doesn't matter now if the baby is infected for the first time, second, third, or fourth time, these maternal antibodies are sub-neutralizing, so that means they're not good enough to neutralize, get rid of the virus infection. This sub-neutralizing antibodies again mediate ADE and results in severe dengue in these infants born to dengue immune mothers. So back in 2010, we provided support for this hypothesis by developing a mouse model. We performed a rather simple experiment where we took a mouse, injected this mouse with um, antibodies against dengue or this immune serum from previously infected people or animals, then challenged this mouse with dengue. Exactly as predicted by the ADE hypothesis, as the infection progresses, we see high levels of viral infection, we see this phenomenon where you have all kinds of immune molecules are upregulators in this phenomenon called cytokine storm. We have vascular leakage and ultimately the mouse dies. What this work showed is this phenomenon of antibody dependent uh, enhancement converts a mild disease into this lethal disease. In this mouse model, mild disease is if the mouse was not infected with, um, was infected only with the virus and not antibody, this mouse would survive, it would get a mild disease. And you can imagine as most of the vaccines that are currently approved for human use involved around inducing antibody responses, it's this, this phenomenon, this process called ADE can be a problem for designing dengue vaccines based on traditional vaccine uh, approach. Now, since 2016, um, the since the emergence of uh, uh, Zika in the Americas in 2016, in these countries where that are endemic for dengue, um, we've been forced to ask many other important questions related to how the immune response to one virus in, impacts the um, infection with the other. So one of the first questions that we've been addressing in my lab is how does prior exposure to dengue impacts subsequent infection with Zika and vice versa. And again, this is an important question in the field because these viruses co-circulate, this dengue transmitting mosquitoes are, are in the same country, same geographic locations, and the immune response, both the antibody and T cell response to these viruses are highly cross-reactive, meaning the immune response to dengue can recognize um, Zika and vice versa. Again, we used our Fraber model, these are mouse models, and we did this type of experiment where we took a pregnant mouse infected with Zika, and as expected, Zika uh, replicates high, at high levels in these pregnant animals and both the mother and the um, babies die. In contrast, 
if we infect the females with dengue and then challenge with Zika, we see that this mother has very little Zika virus, it survives the Zika infection, and the babies are also born healthy. This kind of experiment showed that this prior dengue exposure, this pre-existing dengue immunity, actually provides cross-protection against subsequent Zika infection. We reported our results back in 2017 and 2018. And last year, in 2019, uh, three different groups uh, representing three independent human cohorts indeed observed the same uh, phenomena, which is this prior dengue exposure provides cross-protection against subsequent Zika infection, even against congenital Zika syndrome. The human data allowed us to uh, give us more confidence in our mouse model of this sequential uh, dengue Zika infection. And we next asked this following question, how does prior exposure to dengue influence Zika evolution? Again, if I uh, going back at the beginning of my talk, these are RNA viruses because of the RNA polymerase that is highly error prone, these viruses have high um, uh, mutation rate. Shown on the left is this natural transmission cycle between the mosquitoes and humans. What we decided to do was model, mimic this natural transmission cycle by replacing the human host with a mouse. And instead of using these mosquitoes, we decided to use mosquito cells. We took a human isolate, so this is a Zika strain isolated from humans, injected into the mouse, and the virus coming out of the mouse was injected back into these mosquito cells, and the virus that was grown in these mosquito cells was injected again back into a new set of mice. So we, we repeated this cycle 10 times, and we used two different types of animals. The first one is a naive animal, so they've never seen any kind of virus before, dengue, dengue viruses before. And the second kind of mouse is a dengue immune mouse. So it's been previously exposed to dengue and has cleared the infection. And now we're um, conducting this passaging um, experiment. We isolated these two different, what we call mouse adapted um, uh, Zika strains, this Zika naive P10, it was passes only in these non-immune naive animals, and Zika dengue immune P10 means um, this is the virus that we isolated from these after passing uh, alternately between these mosquito cells and these dengue immune animals. When we sequenced these viruses, we found the two mutations in this Zika naive P10 virus. These exact same two mutations were also present in this dengue immune, uh, Zika dengue immune P10 virus, plus this, this virus strain also had an additional mutation in the viral genome. In the next slide, I'll show you what these viruses do. When we infect a naive animal, this is a non-immune, they've never seen dengue before, um, we see that 100% of the mice that were mock infected just with the virus diluent, they survive as expected. In contrast, if the mice were infected with um, Zika, the parental isolate, or these two mouse-adapted mouse passes strains, 100% of them die, and there's really no difference between these three different viral strains. So this is as expected. Now, 
when we look, when we perform the same experiments, but instead of naive mouse, now these are dengue immune mouse, we see that the parental virus, if these mice were infected with the parental virus, 100% of them survive, meaning these, this prior exposure to dengue provided this cross protection against Zika, just as expected. However, when we infected these animals now with our two mouse adopted out viruses, 100% of these animals die. And this virus, the green line here, this is the, these are the mice that were infected with the virus that was passes in dengue immune animals, and they die even faster than the animals that were infected with the virus that was passes only in the naive animals. So what this result showed is that the Zika viruses, they can evolve to become so virulent that the pre-existing dengue immunity can no longer confer, confer this cross protection. And our experiment with um, Zika passes viruses in the dengue immune animals showed that Zika can actually evolve to evade this pre-existing dengue immunity. So with this type of work, our, what, we've, what we're beginning to realize is that with these diseases, this dengue and Zika, these are quintessential emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases. They have complicated relationships with the humans, there's mosquito vectors and the virus. I'd like to thank the members of my laboratory who, who performed experiments, the main people who performed are Anne, uh, Jose Angel, Annie, and Zinseng. Um, our collaborators include, include Michael Diamond at Washington University, Ralph Barrick at UNC Chapel Hill, and we'd like to thank um, the NIH and the UCSD Chiva Center for Mucosal Immunology um, and LGI Institutional Support uh, for funding. Thank you for your attention.